Well, awesome. Thank you guys uh, so much for having me. It's it's really a joy to be here. Uh, I've gotten to know your leader, Shay, uh, over the last few hours, and uh, you guys are, are really blessed. Seems like you've got a great guy. I know your pastor, Scott Ardo, as I like to call him. Uh, Ardo did a summer camp when I was going to my freshman year of high school, and it was a huge, I was a new believer, so super thankful for him uh, and the impact he's had on my life. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, my name's Josh. I've been married to my wife, Katie, for about seven years. Uh, we're, we're high school sweethearts. I know. I'm, oh, there we go. I know. I know. I know. But don't date. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that would be hypocritical. So, um, yeah, my wife and I have been married for seven years. We've got a little dude named Jude. Uh, that'll be two years in September. And i got a little baby girl coming in October, uh, which we don't have a name for yet because naming a baby human is a hard thing to do. And we're... We'll still learn, still learn to do that. Shasta. Is that what the recommendation? All right, next guy says Shasta. So there we go. Um, what else? Who said go Raiders earlier? Who is that guy on the microphone? Dude, Randall and I are best friends. I'll tell you. Uh, if you need to know about me, I like sports, so I like the Dodgers. Uh, I like me some Raider football. Derek Carr? Are you guys cool with Derek Carr? Is he your guy? Okay, that's cool. I say pay that guy as much money as he wants. Uh, I, don't, I don't care. I, I like that Derek Carr guy. So he... He works out for me, so that's me. But tell me about tell me about you guys. So, uh, what what do I need to know about Kingsburg? What do I need to know about this thing? You guys play some sport? Yeah. Wait a second. Someone said Swedish. So I wrote this down. I walked in, and the sign said Velkomen. So, what what is talk to me about that? It means welcome in Swedish. I thought it was German, so I wasn't really sure. So I'm okay. Because usually when people think Sweden, they think. Kingsburg. So I was, I was trying to figure all that out. That's, that's, that's how I was seeing as I came in. What else? So there's some ballers here, right? Who plays football? Football? Okay, there's some football guys. Volleyball? Saw some girls hitting the volleyball around. I like that. Uh, what else am I missing? Baseball? Anybody play baseball? See a hand in the back? That's good. So hands over there. Okay. Tennis? Yeah, there we go. I like that. I like that. Any track and field people? Okay. Basketball? Any basketball people? I played ba- so I played basketball in high school. I'll tell you guys what I, I played. I'm six foot four, so I played center growing up. And one of the, the stories that I always remember is when I realized that, you know, I used to think I was really tall. Like in middle school, I think I was 5'10. I was like, sweet, I'm gonna be a center, uh, like, you know, Shaquille O'Neal or something like that. And I remember playing this travel ball team when I was in seventh grade called Triple Threat, which already just sounds, you know, threatening. Uh, thrice threatening, you could even say. And we go to play this team, and I'm five foot ten, I think, at the time. Their center in seventh grade is six six, as a seventh grader. I mean, this dude is a moose. I'm looking at him. I'm pretty sure his wife and kids are on the sidelines. And I'm like, I'm like, it's one of those things. Like he might have gotten held back. That's a joke, by the way. That was sarcasm. Don't worry, you got that there. So anyway, so I used to have this trick that I used to try to do when I was playing basketball. Is I would, you know, in the post, you're kind of like bodying the guy up. And I would try to, you know, take my finger and poke guys in the hip to kind of get them off balance. There's a pressure point there. It hurts. So I try this first play of the game. I'm like, you know what? We're going to get killed by 40. Let me just try this, see if I get something. I try this. Seventh grade, no joke. This guy looks down at me. And he goes, you're going to have to push harder than that. <laughs> and I died on the inside. And we lost by 40. So that's, that's pretty much how it goes. So, hey, thank you guys so much for having me. Truly, it's 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 such a, a joy to be here. I, I've heard about you guys. I've seen pictures of the river. 
and the river is much cooler in real life. It's really cool in the pictures, but this is awesome to be here. So you guys are really, really blessed to have something like this you can go to over the summer. Tonight, I want to look at Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 15. Uh, if you want to go quick, I think it's on page like 568 in one of those extra Bibles. But Luke chapter 15, uh, we can take a look there. Um, and tonight, I, I really just want to look at this one chapter. And it's it's 30 verses, but it's it's a handful of stories. They'll be familiar to, to you, these, these parables. Luke chapter 15, follow along if you do it. I'm going to read it one time so that way we can kind of skim over it as we go along. So Luke chapter 15, and we'll start in verse 1. It says this. It says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, being Christ, told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his friends together and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together. And he went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he, and he sent him in the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the paws of the swine reading. And no one was giving him anything to eat. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And felt compassion for him. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf for him, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to come in. His father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to him, Father, look! 
For so many years I have served you and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours comes, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? But he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. Interesting stories. Interesting stories. You don't have to have lived 2,000 years ago to understand these stories. That's what makes Jesus such an incredible teacher is as he explains these things, you get the imagery, right? Of a lost sheep and a man go finding it. Lost woman, or sorry, lost coin, woman trying to find the coin. Lost son, son returning. We get this. But, but this passage, this passage is very, very important for us today because it helps clear up some misconceptions, Right? Has any, anyone ever had misconceptions in life? Right? Like thought something worked one way and it turned out it worked the other way? I'll tell you one. When I graduated high school, who's, anyone graduated high school this year recently? All right, good word. Class of 17 forever. Anyone graduating high school next year? All right, good word. Class of 18 forever. Uh, but I don't know why that was to the forever clause after the class, but it's, it's the thing to do. Anyway, right, I remember when I graduated high school in 2007, I got graduation gifts, and some of those gifts were money, and I thought, okay, I need to put these into the bank. And I needed to go apply for a bank account because I didn't have one. Um, I thought when you applied for a bank account, you need to actually like convince the bank to like let you have an account there. I thought for some reason I needed to woo the bank into letting me have like a checking account. So like I got all dressed up. I put on a sweater vest. It was July, people. Uh, it was hotter than this right now. I was like, I'm gonna look spiffy, even though I look 19, and look like a cabbage patch kid with my baby face. We're gonna make this happen. And I'm going to try to, to convince this bank to give me an account. Turns out five minutes later, I had it. So job well done, right? Misconceptions, they happen. Just the other week, we had our summer camp. And the, the lead guitarist for our church's summer camp has long, blonde, curly hair, much like this young lady right here. Stand up real quick. Just hair, just like that, right there. Yeah, good job. There's our volunteer. The lead guitarist had his hair like that. You know, I'm not going to judge. However, I looked over at one point, and I thought I, I saw him. And I was in a huge crowd, and I went, hey, everybody, look, Blake LaGrange. And it turns out it wasn't Blake. It was my personal secretary, uh, whose name is Kristen, uh, who didn't think it was very funny. Uh, so if you're interested in a secretary position, I have now one open because she's, she's since quit. No, I'm just kidding. But, right, misconceptions, misconceptions can hurt us. Right? We can misunderstand things. And what this passage helped clears up is a misconception about God. Let me, let me show that to you. If you look at the beginning of this parable, there's two groups of people. Two groups of people that we see. The first group is this group called the tax collectors and the sinners. Right? These would have been seen as the, the worst people of society. Uh, tax collectors, they tax the Roman people or the Jewish people, stole from them. The sinners, that's, a, that's the category for the prostitutes. Uh, this, these are really what we would have seen today as kind of like, like the false teachers and homosexuals of the society. These are the really bad people. And then there's this other group of people, verse 2, called the Pharisees. Who could tell me what you know about the Pharisees? Anybody? What do you know about the Pharisees? Legalistic. Okay. What else? Prideful. Right? And prideful about what? About their teachings. Good. What else? Somebody else. Prideful about their teachings. Legalistic. Rule followers. Right? They thought they were holier than thou. They thought they were really good people. These are the kind of the groups that we have. We see these tax collectors and sinners, and we see these Pharisees, these religious people 
And they have a really big problem with Jesus. Because Jesus, it says he ate, verse 2, he ate with sinners. They couldn't stand that Jesus was eating, that he was sharing a meal, that he was fellowshipping with these, these sinful people. Or these people, at least, that they thought they deemed as sinful. So here's what the Pharisees thought. Jesus can't be God because he's so comfortable with people who clearly don't belong to God. He's so comfortable with people who clearly are not part of God's people. That, that's why the Pharisees hate him. They, they couldn't stand him. And that's why they're concerned about in verse 2. And so what Jesus does is he, he flips the script on them. And he tells them these parables to show them that they have a misconception about God. You know, let me ask you, how would you guys, uh, Kingsburg, I, I live in L.A., so the ratio is different. How, what's the percentage of this area that people that say, like, they believe that God exists? What would you say? Someone throw out a number for me. 85? I like that number. Anyone else think different? Higher, lower? 86. We're playing prices right now. I like it. Anyone, one dollar. Anyone, that's an old joke. You'll get that later on YouTube. Um, right? Okay, so, right? It's a high amount of people. So if, if you were to go around and ask people, what is God like? What characteristics do you think would be thrown out? If you say, hey, explain to me, give me your top two or three characteristics, what is God like? What do you think some of the ones people would say? Oh, I, thought, I thought that was a hand, but she was swatting away bugs. Never mind, I'll take that back. What do you guys think? Loving, right? Another one. Anything else? Come on, you guys have done attributes of God. I know, I know we're speaking language here. What? Give me another one. Forgiving. Forgiving. Good, someone else. <laughs> right, he's selfless. I think most people would say stuff like holy, right? He's loving. He's powerful. Let me give you one that I don't think would make your top ten. And then I think because of that, you, my friend, might have a misconception about God tonight. Joyful. God is a God who is joyful, who is happy, who experiences extreme pleasure, who delights, who, who is zealous. He's a happy God. And we're going to see that in these parables, that he's a joyful God. That he's an extreme, a God who experiences extreme delight. And tonight as we study this, you need to understand this. Because your, your understanding of God's exuberance is joy, especially in the salvation of sinners. It's going to be imperative to your walk with him and how you live for him. And we're going to see that in parables. These three little stories that Jesus tells about a, a sheep and a coin and a son. And tonight I want to answer three questions. You can write these down if you're taking notes or you can type them in your phone. There's three questions that these parables answer. Number one, who are sinners? Who are sinners? Number two, who is God? And then number three, who are you? That's what we'll see tonight. Who are sinners? Who is God? And we have to ask the question, who are you in these parables? So let's take a look at these. I pray as we look at these questions, your heart would be moved not only to be thankful for salvation, but if you're a Christian, to share the good news of the gospel. Let's jump into this. Question number one, who are sinners? Who are sinners? And we see them depicted in this parable. Again, the sheep, the coin, the sun. There's a common word that showed up a ton. Did anybody catch it? There's a word that shows up a lot, like six times in these three parables. Any guesses? Anyone want to take a stab at it? Rejoicing, that is one of the words. That's one of the two words that shows up a ton. There's another one that came up a ton. It's the word 
lost. Anybody knows? Yeah, you said it, but it doesn't count because you didn't say it. I'm sorry. I mean, not that it would have done. I don't have a prize, but I'll move on. All right, so hydro flask. Shay will give you a hydro flask last week. No. Right, there's this word lost. We see it, right? Verse 6, lost sheep. Uh, ver verse 9, lost coin. Verse 24, verse 32, lost son. This description uh, of these things that are lost. And what you got to see in this parable when we start answering the number one question, who are sinners? It's this. Sinners are described as lost. They're described as lost. Listen, if you've got an unsaved friend, the problem is not that the, the church they go to, the problem is not the weird beliefs they have, the problem that it says in Scripture is that they are lost. They're lost people. If you don't know Christ here tonight, uh, I know that the group here is really thankful you're here. I'm thankful you're here. But if you're not a Christian, you've got to understand that the Scripture's description is lost. What does it mean to be lost? Anyone ever been lost before? Anyone lost, like hanging out with your parents and you're like lost? I remember the first time I was like four years old, I got lost in Toys R Us. It was, I thought, it, I thought, which sounds fun unless you're like on the wrong aisle. You know, like what am I going to do lost on the bike aisle? I'm four. I can't ride a bike yet. I, I need to learn all that. Maybe some of you could write it for. But, right, you're like terrified. When you're lost, you're looking around. Where are your parents? I got lost in like a, like a Macy's one time or something. I don't know what. And like, I was like, did anyone do that thing when you were a really little kid? You jumped through the clothing racks like your parents told you not to. But I could do that. I one time got lost one of those. I'm like, oh, man, I did too good of a job. And I found my mom and I went and hugged her. And it wasn't my mom. But, but me and that lady still write constantly. No, I'm just kidding. So, right, you know, you... That's our, sometimes when we think lost, we think directions, right? I don't know where I'm going. There's some truth to that, but that's not what the Bible means by lost, right? We, we think lost like I lost my direction. There's other terms used for this word lost. This word here for lost can also mean ruined or destroyed or perishing or no good. You know, Jesus, Jesus tells this other you know, illustration at another time in Scripture, talks about old wineskins and new wineskins. And when he talks about the, the, the new wineskins being, or the old wineskins being ruined, destroyed, useless, that's the idea of loss. The idea here of loss is not loss of direction. It has the idea of worthless. Um, have you guys heard the expression, so-and-so, oh yeah, they're a lost cause, right? They're, they're helpless, hopeless, no hope for them. That's the idea here, is a lost cause, the unsaved person, in other words, is, is spiritually worthless. There's no spiritual value they bring to God. There's nothing that they bring uh, that, that honors God. They're spiritually ruined, headed for destruction. Right? I mean, that makes sense. A wandering sheep dies. A lost coin, no matter how much it's worth, you can't find it. You can't spend it. It doesn't do anything. Scripture talks about that. The, the sinner is ruined before God, perishing. Heading for destruction. Ephesians 2 explains this, that, the, that they're dead in their sins, that, that their whole life is about disobeying. They love to disobey. Their, their pattern is disobedience. Romans 5 des describes unbelievers as enemies before God. Colossians 1.21, again, says that we're alienated before Him. Now, what does this look like? Right? You might be thinking, you know, what, what do you mean that we're lost? Explain this to me, Josh. Well, Jesus explains the lost coin and the lost sheep, but the main one is that lost son. I mean, you see that in your Bible. It takes up the most of those verses. Uh, let me just give you three little descriptions of the lost sinner. Yeah, just three descriptions of what is sin, and you could jot these down 
as little subpoints. First subpoint is this. We've got to understand this. Sin is personally offensive to God. Sin is personally offensive to God. How many of you remember back to elementary school? Elementary school? Do you guys remember back that far? Probably, hopefully. It's an interesting day. You know, where the biggest threat you could give someone is, all right, fine, you're not invited to my birthday. And uh, it was like the trump card. But uh, I don't know how it worked, but I remember when I got in trouble in elementary school, uh, my teacher, you know, say, you're not supposed to be talking. You know, I'd be talking, and she'd say, Josh, you need to go change your card. Does anyone have this? Does anyone remember this? Who, who had middle school, elementary school like this? Where, like, you had, like, a card system? Like, you started on green, and you flipped to yellow. Was there nothing more traumatizing as a second grader when you had to go like from green to yellow and you're like, it's over. I worked so hard to maintain. Could you imagine if your high school teachers now tried that? Like, hey, go flip your card. You're like, hey, I flipped it on the way in. Don't worry. I knew this. I knew this conversation was happening. Right. Right. Sometimes when we think of sin, we can kind of think of sin as that. You know, yeah, when we were younger, it was a big deal. But now that we've gotten older, it's not that big of a deal. What what you've got to understand is sin is always personally offensive to God. We see that in verse 12. Look at verse 12. This is where he starts talking about the younger brother and the older brother. He says, Father, the younger son, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. This might seem like an innocent request. But what is he saying? The share of the estate that falls to me, that's, that's his inheritance. Here's a pop quiz. When do people typically get their inheritance? Right? When the relative dies. So let me ask you this. If the son is saying to the father, give me my inheritance now, what's he basically saying? He's saying, Father, I wish you were dead. I wish I had nothing to do with you. You offer me nothing. I just want your stuff. You see, that's what sin is, guys. Every sin we commit is not just an offense against God's law. It's a personal attack against God. We just sang that song, Sovereign Over Us. Great lyrics, by the way. Shay, I need to know who sings that later. So I can jot that down. We love, I like that song. I want to I wanna bring that to our group. But you know what sin does? It sin says, nah. You, you might be in control, but I'm calling the shots in my life. Yeah, sure, I know your law, but God, your laws aren't very good. I would do them better than you. There's a personal aspect to it every time. From every lustful thought to, to every word that slips off our tongue that, God, that doesn't honor God. To every time when, quite frankly, we know what to do and we choose not to. It's personally offensive to him. Romans 3 talks about this, uh, verses 10 through 12, talks about that we're all under sin. Uh, but in this description, it says, there's no one who understands. There's none who seeks for God. Sin is this outright rebellion against God personally. And that's all sin. Perhaps there's sins in your life that you may recently have been tempted to just kind of Say, oh, that's just a part of me. Or not that big of a deal. But it's always offensive to God. Sin always rejects God personally. Even though you might not be expressing in that way. The second, who are sinners, the second thing that we learn about sin is sin is wasting God's gifts. 
Not only is it a personal offense against God, but it wastes his gifts. Verse 13, oh, we go on to see the younger brother take what the father had given him and use it on himself. Use it for pleasure. He ends up wasting all of it. It says loose living. That's like parties, drunkenness. Later, the older brother says prostitutes. That's exactly what this younger brother was doing. But you see that? Like when we sin, it's not just that we offend God. It's we offend God with what he's given us. Do you realize that the body that you have is not your own? June book. Do you realize the, the body you have is not your own? The intellect you've been given is not your own? The stuff you have is not yours? And yet often, instead of using these good things that God has given us, we'll leverage them and use them in rebellion. Say, no, this is for me. God, you're not the king of my universe. I'm the king of my universe. Do you remember the audacity of that? To stand up against the God who created us and say, now I'm going to use the things you've given me to dishonor you and honor myself. We just had our summer camp, uh, and our theme of camp was worship. And make no mistake, friend, everybody worships someone. Tonight, my question is, are you worshiping God or are you worshiping self? Look, your small group leader might not know. Your staff person might not know. Your youth pastor might not know. But God sees your heart. He sees the real heart behind your sin. Not only is it hatred towards God, not only is it wasting God's gift, but notice this, sin is deceptive in nature. Sin is deceptive in nature. Did you see the downfall of the son? He thinks he gets everything he wants, right? Parties, loose living, all sorts of friends, and then what happens? The money runs out, and a famine comes, and he ends up herding pigs. In fact, did you read that at the end there? He's wanting to eat the food the pigs are eating. He's so desperate. He thought he'd have everything. Now he's tired, lonely. He's subhuman. Friends, this is what sin does. You know, Hebrews chapter 3 has this little expression. It talks about the deceptiveness of sin. Sin is a lure. Sin is supposed to look good. But it really destroys. So Jeremiah 2 talks about. Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah says, or God speaking through Jeremiah says, my people have committed two crimes. They've forsaken me and they've gone after broken cisterns, broken jars that hold no water. In other words, not only have they forsaken me, they've gone after things that do not satisfy, that do not make them happy, that will not bring pleasure. Friends, the, you, we hear a lot in the news today about fake news, right? You hear a lot about fake news. Here's the biggest fake news on the planet. Sin will make you happy. It doesn't. That's why some of your friends who've walked away started in a little bit sin and have gone to more and more sin. It's because it's not satisfying, so they have to go after more of it. C.S. Lewis, I remember reading him one time, talks about Satan doesn't want us to be happy, but he'll try to make us happy enough to pursue sin, even though it ensnares us. But some of you know that. Some of you have experienced that firsthand in your family, where the family's pursued godlessness and it's just brought emptiness. Maybe even yourself, maybe you come here tonight living a life of secret sin. And you're not happy. You're not joyful. You keep telling yourself that. But deep down, you're just going, man, this isn't satisfying. I remember one time reading about how, you know, hunters in, in Africa used to, would hunt for monkeys. And the way they would hunt for monkeys is not go out and let's find the monkey. Instead, what they would do is really easy. They would set up a box with a shiny object inside. And what they would do is the, the hole was big enough so the monkey could reach in and grab the object. However, 
the monkey couldn't pull its fist out with the pull the hand out with its fist closed. So as the hunters are approaching hours later, the monkey's got a choice to make. Do I let go of this object and save my life or do I hold on to this thing and have it be the result of my death? For so many, that the second was what happened. It's the same way with sin. It looks alluring, but it destroys and is deceptive. And we see that in this illustration of the younger brother. Sin ensnares, it exhausts, deceives, and it destroys. And I would just ask, is this you tonight? So what do we see? we got good news coming soon. There's hope. But to answer our first question in summary, the sinner is left deceived, joyless, and an enemy of God. That's who the sinner is. An enemy of God who is lost in their sin. So which leads us to our second question. Number two, who is God? Who is God? And we're helped here by looking how the story continues. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. It says, but when he came to his senses, this is the younger brother in the pit, in the pig pit, right? When he came to his senses, he says, how many of my father's men have more than enough bread and I am dying here with hunger, right? He starts thinking about the goodness of God. His father's hired men. These aren't the guys that work for his father. These are the guys that his father will just hire on a daily basis, right? He's a landowner. Many of you are familiar with working land. Uh, These are not full-time laborers. This is just, hey, I need a guy today to do this project. Guys that his father just hires for that have more than enough food. He suddenly remembers, man, my father's actually a a generous person. Verse 18 and 19, what does he say? He makes this plan. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to tell him I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like a hired man. That's what he says. Make me like a day laborer. He wants to go to his father with his day with his payment plan. But did you notice what verse 17 started with? It says, when he came to his senses, he came to clear thinking. His thinking on his father had become clear. He understood his father's goodness. And he understood his own unworthiness. Did you see that? Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is what must happen in the life of every single sinner in order to be saved. If you're a Christian, this seems very familiar to you. Because this is what repentance, this is what change of mind looks like. It looks like two things. Change of thinking about who you are and change of thinking about who God is. Recognition that you are a sinner who is lost, but recognizing that God is a good God and a worthy God and a kind God. For the first time in this story, friends, we have a hope of a happy ending. As this younger son says, how many of my father's men have more than enough? There is hope here for the sinner. And there's hope for the sinner who's recognized their offense against God. So here's the question you'd have to think. How's the father going to react? Because verse 20, you're thinking he's, he's now going home. Man, I'm just thinking about my dad growing up. My dad is a really kind guy. Taught me all sorts of good things like, you know, how to be a Raider fan and stuff like that you know my father's a good dude um my father would not have been real happy when i came home right i just totally basically i wish he was dead i took a third of the property that belonged to him uh and then i wasted all of it and now i'm going to come home and be like hey pops right it's not going to go well how does the father respond friend how does god respond 
unimaginable mercy. Tremendous mercy. There is an incredible response. Verse 20 says, So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What is this response? This is incredible. This is amazing. This is the grace of God towards sinners. First of all, it says he was, his father saw him. Did you see that? You know what that meant? That means the father would have been looking for him. That means the father would have been anticipating his return. This spoiled punk who rejected his dad, this father is waiting for his return. Next it says he ran to him. He went to him. He didn't wait for his son to come to him. He ran to initiate forgiveness. And then it says he embraced him. Remember, what was his job before he came here? He's a pig farmer. Pigs are not known for their good sense, right? But he didn't care. He hugged him and he brought him close. Friends, this is God's response to the lost. This is God's response to the sinner. This is God's response to the unsaved sinner. This is God's response to our sin as believers when we go to him with forgiveness. He is quick to forgive. He is quick to forgive. This is what he does. This is such a picture of the gospel. You know, our world loves to talk about love. You know, love is a battlefield. Okay, that doesn't work. Love is an open door, whatever these songs are, right? You know what God loves a highway? There we go, thank you. You know what God's love does? God's love initiates towards the unlovely. God loves that which is unlovely, and he initiates it. Here you see this father running towards his son. You know, this is what Jesus, we see this ultimately in the gospel. This is what Jesus said in Luke 19. He said, for the Son of Man has to come, or for, sorry, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the good. Is that right? It's not right. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the church. The Son of Man has come to seek and save those which grew up in a Christian home. The Son of Man has come to seek and save those who have known Jesus loves me, this I know from a young age. No, he says the Son of Man has come to seek and save those that are lost. This is God's love. It's initiating. And we see that ultimately, friends, in the cross. The cross was not man coming and saying, Lord, find a way to save us, and him going, all right, well, let me see what I could do. Okay, cross. No, the cross was... In spite of us being enemies of God, God said, I will make a way to reconcile them and to remove their sin from them. And it'll be through the brutal slaughter of my son. Friend, if you do, do not know or understand what the cross is, the cross was not just Jesus died and now, you know, Jesus just died and because of that somehow we're made right with God. No, on the cross, Jesus takes on the wrath of God so that the wrath of God would not reside on you, so that his love can be upon you. So that you might be seen as he, Christ, lived that perfect life. You might be seen as if you lived the life he lived. This is God's love. And to what to the extent is this love? Is this like, okay, you know, I'll ask forgiveness, I'll pay it off? Look, it's full and complete. When you're forgiven, friend, you're forgiven immediately and totally. I mean, what happens in the parable? 
The son starts saying, like, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. The father cuts him off. And he says, hey, bring a robe. Put it on him. By the way, he says, put on the best robe. That would have been the father's robe. Put a robe on him. Hey, put a ring on him. Now, you know, besides my wedding ring, I don't wear much jewelry. Uh, but for guys, that way, ring would have been family crest. Would have shown that he's back as a member of the family. He's not some subpar family member. Just put sandals on his feet. That means he's fully forgiven. He goes from a complete dead son. In fact, Father says that later. For this son of mine was dead, verse 24. He goes from dead to life. To having been considering totally gone to completely restored. That's the gospel. You could tonight, friend, if you don't know Christ, have all your sin removed. Be made white as snow by recognizing your sin and trusting only in Christ's death on the cross. And by the way, what's the mood of this scene? It's the word that our friend here brought up earlier. Joy. Joy. There's a party, verse 23. Kill the fattened calf. That means we're eating burgers. Oh, come on, burgers mean parties, right? That's a, that's a good thing here. They're not pulling out quinoa here. You know, it's, it's go time. We're going to eat and we're going to party and this is good. We're going to celebrate. It's joy. And why are they celebrating? Because the incredible grace of the Father. This is unrestrained delight. This is enthusiasm. I mean, just like the lost sheep, when it was found, there was a party. The lost coin, it was found, there was a party. Lost son, he was found, there was a? Yeah, there was a party. They're celebrating. Why? Not just because the son has returned. But because this is the father's delight. It is his joy. It is his joy to forgive this son. And friends, it is God's joy to forgive sinners. He is no reluctant savior. Uh, he, he is not obligated to do any of this. He delights in saving sinners through his son. Isaiah 62, 5 says, the same way that the gr a groom rejoices over his bride, so I rejoice over you, O Israel. He says, the Lord is in your midst, Zephaniah 3, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I mean, this is the, he loves forgiving sinners. It's his delight. Student, that should encourage you on your campus. That should encourage you as you're trying to reach the lost. You're thinking, I don't know if that kid will ever turn. No, not only is God able to change him, he would delight to do that. We want to talk about the grace of God overflowing. He not only shows his grace, he delights in saving those that were his enemies. What tremendous news. This should thrill us. This should cause us to share it with others. This should cause us to be thankful for our God. So once again, who are sinners? Well, outside of the cross, hopelessly lost. Who is gone? Well, he's a joyful deliverer. Which leads us to the last question. Who are you? Who are you? You know, as I read through this parable, when I read verse 24, didn't it feel like the parable should be over? Right? You know, the son was lost. Now he's been found. We killed the fattened calf. Now we party. This is me partying. All right, now we party. It feels like it should be over, right? Even if you just follow the, follow the flow. Lost sheep, found party. Lost coin, found party. Lost son, found party feels like it should be over in verse 24. And yet there's this ending. There's this kind of jarring ending with this older brother that shows up. And this older brother, you, you get his tone is very different. 
He's harsh. Uh, he's angry. I mean, you could see his tone in verse 28. It says, actually, he became angry with his father. He's upset with him. Verse 29, do you see his tone? His, he, the father goes to him, and what's his answer? Verse 29, his answer is, look. It's not a happy tone. He's upset with his father. He's disgusted with him. In fact, he's disgusted with his brother. Verse 29, he doesn't even mention his brother's name. He says, you've never given me anything. You've never given me a goat. Animals are big to these people. He says, you've never given me a goat. Verse 30, but when my brother of mine? No, verse 30, but when this son of yours. He's so disgusted and angry by this thing. He doesn't even call him. This son of yours comes home. You killed a fattened calf for him. And then the parable ends. Just like that. Angry brother. Father says, but we had to celebrate. Parable ends. What do we do with this? What do we do with this ending? Well, who is this? This is very clear. This is supposed to represent the Pharisees. We saw them at the beginning. This represents them at the end. And here's the problem of the older brother. The older brother thought he had earned the father's favor. The older brother thought he was more deserving. And the older brother thought he was entitled, that he'd done something, that through his work and through his faithfulness, he thought he deserved more of a celebration. That's the, the fault of this older brother. But you gotta understand, this ending is confrontational. It's the most challenging portion of this, and it's there to make you, student, think about, how am I responding? You know what we learn in this parable? There's two ways to be lost, friends. There are two ways you could be lost. One way to be lost is to be really, really bad and to pursue sin and live like the world and just live and indulge in the flesh all you want. And one way to be lost is to be really, really good and to think you've done enough stuff and to collect enough trophies to earn your way into heaven and then to look down on others that haven't done as well as you have. There's outright rebellion but then there's self-righteous deception. By the way, both of them try to control God. This one tries to control God by telling him he's not real, that I'm more important. This one tries to control God by, you know, bartering him in to listen to whatever you want him to do. And you know what's true about both of them? Neither love the Father. Neither have a real love for the Father. And neither actually care about him. You know, the one showed that he didn't have a love for him until he repented. But you know, this one, he's not going to take sin seriously either. This is one that doesn't actually care about it. He just wants his father's stuff. He wants the father to serve him through his religion, not him actually serve and love and cherish the father. Can I ask you this question? You know, there's two kinds of brothers, two kinds of sinners, but one acknowledges their sinfulness and repents. The question is this, which brother are you? Do you love grace? Have you embraced your own sin and embraced that you are not worthy to be called a son and embraced that the only way to do so would be on your father's mercy? Do you rest in God's goodness? Friend, are you a sinner? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you have not owned the reality that you're a sinner, 
then you cannot be saved. I don't just mean acknowledge that in your head. I mean in your heart of hearts recognize that the only way to be made right with God is mercy from Him. Friend, if you're here tonight, I would call you, if you don't know Christ, to turn to God in Christ. Place your trust in Him. Own your sinfulness and recognize the forgiveness offered at the cross. And know this, He'll forgive you. Oh, He will do it way more than you imagine. Isaiah 1 says He makes us whiter than snow. Malachi 7 says He tosses our sins into the seas. That He will trample your sin underfoot. And friend, He can do that because He trampled Christ underfoot at the cross. He can wipe away your sin because Christ endured the wrath that we deserved. If you don't know Christ, do that. Turn to God for forgiveness. For He delights in saving sinners. Father, thank You for tonight. Thank You for Your goodness. Lord, we're so thankful for Your incredible grace. That, that You're not stingy with Your grace that you're not reluctant with your grace, but your grace overflows towards us joyfully. You delight in showing grace to sinners. Lord, I pray tonight that we not merely be hearers of the word, but doers. Help us not to take sin flippantly. Help us to have the same zeal for the lost as you do for salvation. And Lord, if some here do not know you, Pray that you would change their hearts and cause them to trust in the glorious gospel of your Son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.